Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about how to find a horse, like when you're buying one, if you're planning to do positive reinforcement, and just general tips for that, or how it might require different things than if you're looking for a horse traditionally and yeah so do you want to start it's so broad and I think it's varied on each person what they're actually looking for but I think it's not a bad idea to like have a set list of things you might want from a horse but I do think it's important to be flexible too because you're probably not going to reach every single requirement at least that's been my experience Yeah, no, I agree with you. And like from my very limited experience, like when I got Coco, I wasn't looking for a horse for positive reinforcement, obviously. And I was like very hasty in my like horse searching. So I kind of just tried one horse. I wanted that horse and my parents were like, no. And then I tried Coco and I was like, okay, I want this horse. And my parents were like, okay. So um, I just kind of was like, I will take literally any horse. And it just so happened that Coco was the second one I tried that my parents were also okay with me getting. So I definitely like from my personal experience, didn't do that great with it. But if I could go back or re look for a horse now, I would do it differently. I think like one of the big things that you should focus on is I think almost not personality necessarily, though personality is something you should focus on, but kind of like how they're reacting to things. Like, do they seem shut down or do they seem kind of like, you know, opened up and ready to learn and and experience things and like not and learn helplessness? Because I think like it is really great when positive reinforcement people can get a horse that is and learn helplessness or something and be able to work with them and open them up. But if you're looking for a horse that's already going to be kind of inquisitive and like do well with the positive reinforcement, then looking for a horse that's kind of curious and more like open, I think is probably a good way to go to be successful with that. Yeah, I think you should take into consideration your own personal skills and how far along you are on your journey too, because some people probably can take a horse that's in learned helplessness and be really successful while others might struggle a lot more. And I think that's just really important because you don't know what you're really getting if the horse is shut down. Yeah that's a really good point you don't want to end up getting in a situation where you can't really do what you need to do with the horse and that puts both you and the horse in a negative situation and so on that note I would say um, if you are going to be getting a new horse it's probably a good idea to have some type of trainer that you are working with and maybe be able to bring that person when you're going to look at the horses, um, or if it's like a virtual trainer, then obviously you can't do that, but share all of the information with them and let them kind of weigh weigh in on it as well, especially if you're kind of inexperienced or maybe not willing to take on like a really big project, just so you can make sure that the trainer can give their perspective as well. Yeah, that's something that was really helpful with Wonder. I didn't have a positive reinforcement trainer, but I have a family member like I don't even know how related it's some weird distant like aunt or something (laughs) but she came along to see wonder and she actually was the one that pointed out that he might have arthritis so even if you're not bringing someone for like behavioral stuff you can still have someone that's knowledgeable to maybe point out some health things yeah that's very true and I guess like a slightly related 
to this topic, but not that related thing is like, along with the health things, like it's definitely important to know, but I wouldn't necessarily like not get a horse because of health things, like depends on what the issues are, obviously. And there are some circumstances in which like the person maybe isn't willing to take on like a certain, you know, horse that has a lot of health issues. But like, in my opinion, I think that like a pre-purchase exam is really important, but it's not necessarily like the make or break. Like if this is a horse that you have a really good relationship with, or you think you can build a really good relationship with them and they're you know, really great besides that, there are a lot of medical things that can be worked through. And so if they do have a medical thing, I think a lot of people's first thought is like, okay, I can't do this. But if you know you're in like a financial place and time place where you have the time to devote to that, I think it's still really valuable to take on horses that might have some medical issues. And I think that's a lot of what I've had to do, like getting older horses. Usually I always find myself with the old guys and they do have some medical issues but like I still think it's very valuable as well and obviously you do too because you still you know got wonder <laughs> despite knowing that he might have arthritis yeah I was weighing over my head and still thought he could be a jumping horse but <laughs> <laughs> that's all right because he just kind of changed everything I was open-minded to that eventually so <laughs> yeah well that's good yeah sometimes those horses that like kind of do have those medical issues or require special care end up being the ones that really change your mindset which is really cool so I'm like personally pretty grateful for those experiences even though they're kind of negative (laughs) yeah they can really affect you in like your journey and how you see horses and training and everything I feel like a lot of the time when people first get into positive reinforcement it's because like their horse had a surgery or they've been really colicky or they're on stall rest for whatever reason. So I mean, it's unfortunate to have those issues, but I feel like that's a lot of the time what brings us to it. Yeah, I think that's very true. Yeah, that's definitely what I feel like brought me to like just a more, a less forceful and more ethical mindset in general, just being, I don't know, I think it was, it was, for me, it was less so that like I physically couldn't do what I wanted to do, but it was more so I got this like feeling that she was kind of like, fragile in a sense and also just like I cared so much about her because she I had like gone through so much with her and I was kind of getting a new perspective on my relationship with her so I was like okay now I have to change the way I am looking at this and I I don't want to put her in the situation where she's gonna be in pain or like just not have a good time yeah that's kind of what happened with wonder too like he wasn't obviously in pain I'm, I'm sure he was because of his arthritis but he wasn't like outwardly showing it really, except that he would like not move under saddle or he didn't know how to lunge. I don't know if that was a training issue or if it was pain related. There was a lot of things that came up and moved me to where I am now. So I'm thankful for it, but yeah, it's a journey. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I guess like the moral of this little tangent is like, even if the horse you know, technically doesn't seem to fit exactly what you were looking for, it can still work out really well, and it can still be a really positive thing. So definitely, like, have an idea of what you're looking for, and try to find something that's going to fit that, but also, I think, like you said before, be very open to, like, possibly not checking off all those boxes, because not every horse is perfect, and you might find one that ends up being, like, exactly what is good for you, and exactly what you would have wanted, it just might not, you might not know that that's exactly what you're looking for, and it might not be perfect, like, on paper. 
Yeah, exactly. Both of mine are like the exact opposite of what I wanted. So <laughs> it happens. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's good to have maybe an idea of what you want. Like maybe you want a horse that is a certain height because maybe you're super tall and you want to be able to ride yeah. them or something like that. But I think in general, you should base it more off of how the horse works with you and your training capabilities and financial abilities too. I guess that also goes back to like, you know, if they do have health issues, then you don't want to take on something that might be financially too much. Yeah, but also expect the worst because horses yeah. are really, really good at getting themselves in trouble. <laughs> yes, I mean, Coco technically cleared her pre-purchase exam and then, you know, within a couple of years, everything was wrong. I don't know how she, like, didn't have any issues in that exam, but. <laughs> it's kind of impressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do think, though, I think possibly there, like, there were some things that were kind of overlooked and just not really, you know, totally shared. Um, I'm not saying anything shady was going on, but I just think that there were some things that that were there that people either didn't notice or didn't say anything about. So, <laughs> you know, it's okay. <laughs> I think that's sadly pretty common. Yeah, but I agree. I don't know much about pre-purchase exams because I didn't do them for either of mine. I kind of knew what I was getting into. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think they can sometimes be faulty. I guess it depends on the vet you're working with and what their knowledge level is because everyone's different every vet's different and especially like in different areas like every vet that I know is super traditional and they might overlook stress signals or pain signs or things like that as just like a sassy horse and sadly that's just kind of the norm right now yeah exactly I mean that's like when I was trying Coco and I was riding her she like tried to bite me when I was getting on her which is obviously like a very classic pain signal that she was you know she was having pain when being ridden or like the saddle didn't fit or she had something going on or something like that but I I mean I just was like this was my first horse I didn't really know that much so I was like oh she's sassy or whatever that's okay and you know I don't I can't really tell you why I was like this is the horse I want after she like tried to bite me but it's fine <laughs> um so it worked out fine but yeah I do think pre-purchase exams can be a little bit questionable but I would recommend them whenever possible just because you can get an idea of what you're getting into again not as like a make or break thing I wouldn't be like I'm not getting this horse if they have a minor medical issue but just to like kind of see what's going on there I mean if you already know the horse like you said it's definitely not as necessary but if you can do it I still would just in case there's something that you're overlooking it's just kind of like a checkup yeah definitely doesn't hurt and you could find out some things you wouldn't know otherwise so I guess um, another question I would want to ask or like figure out when you're going to try the horse is see what you could figure out about the horse's history, like where they came from, how long they've been there, what type of like, you know, management conditions they've been living in in general, like are they stalled or are they turned out, like just to kind of get an idea of like what this horse's lifestyle has been, both because like obviously management and past history and potential trauma is going to affect how the horse is behaving but also because that can affect how you're going to be transitioning them into their new home and making sure that you know they're having a successful transition into their new home if you do end up getting that horse because obviously like if they're stalled 24 7 and then you're bringing them 
to somewhere where they're going to be on turnout 24 seven, it might be a little bit of a shock to just go ahead and like turn that horse out 24 seven immediately. I mean, some horses might do great with that. Other horses, they might kind of have a shock from going from being stalled and isolated and confined 24 seven to then being out 24 seven. So you might have to kind of like do a more slow introduction to being turned out, things like that, just so you can be aware of like how the horse has been living and how to help them be successful when they move. Yeah. And you can also take the history of the horse, whatever they give you. Sometimes it's very vague. (laughs) Sometimes it's more detailed, but you can take that information to when you're looking for a barn to bring the horse to, if you don't already have one too. Yeah, that's very true. Then yeah, that's definitely important to try to look for a barn that is going to be a good fit for the horse. And personally, I would recommend having a barn that you kind of have an idea of beforehand if possible so that you can kind of know like what the situation will be because you obviously don't want to be getting into like okay I'm ready to get this horse but I don't know where to put them but obviously you know there there could be an element of this horse that might cause you to have to look for like a different more specific place like for example Coco had to be on a dry lot so that you know maybe the barn you were looking at only had grass and so you would need to know that she needs to be on a dry lot so you can find a place that can accommodate that yeah when I got wonder I had no clue where we were taking him so (laughs) he he kind of just stayed at the other barn for a while but they didn't really want to let him go anyway so it kind of worked out for me I guess yeah (laughs) yeah it's definitely good to have something in mind beforehand but be willing to make accommodations if needed Yeah, I definitely agree. And I guess I would also, in addition to like observing, ask the person what, how they would describe the horse's personality or like their behavior, like they have any like quote unquote quirks or vices or anything like that, that you would need to know about. And, you know, they may not be honest or they may not have an accurate understanding of this if they don't really know a lot about horse behavior, but it's, you know, just asking to get that extra insight potentially because you can't obviously you can't see everything when you're just going for you know an hour or whatever to try the horse yeah and you could also ask if you could spend more time with them not everyone's willing to do that but it's worth a shot because then you can see maybe how they are without the person there or maybe you can just observe them in their field and see how they act with other horses and you can just figure out a lot that way if they're able to give you more time with them before you buy them Yeah, that's really true. You can go and see them multiple times at their place or some people are willing to do like a free lease, like just, or not necessarily free lease, just a lease to buy or something. So you can um, try out the horse for like a month or so and then decide if you're going to buy and like something like that could be good. But obviously that's pretty stressful for the horse if they're, (laughs) you know, getting moved to your place and getting moved back and all those things. But um, that could be a good way of doing it although I know personally if I took a horse for a month I would be like keeping that horse like after I have it for a month it's like nope you're not going anywhere (laughs) yeah me too (laughs) yeah (laughs) but it might work for some people (laughs) yes yes it definitely might um and then I guess like also as much information as you can get about their health history like in addition to the pre-purchase exam and in addition to like their general history of like wherever they've lived or whatever also like you know if they've had any major injuries and they have any like you know documentation of prior vet visits or even just knowledge of that I think that's pretty useful I know when I got Coco I got a folder that had 
just like a lot of her past um, medical history and um, just all her past Coggins and stuff like that. Not all of them because she was old, but <laughs> like a good number of them. And it had like her, um, her like pedigree in there and stuff, which was really interesting. It had the name of her breeder. So like it kind of was giving me things that I also could use later to look into more of her history as well. So, it, you know, if they have any um, medical records or just documentation in general, being able to get that from them or at least see it is really helpful. Yeah, I think that's sometimes hard to do. I have vet records for mine from like right before I got them and their Coggins and that's like all I got. But <laughs> with Wonder, I think it was hard to track his old owners because they don't really know where he came from before the last person. So that's a little trickier and that happens sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's hard sometimes to piece together their history, especially when they are older. But I was really lucky with Coco that I was able to figure out like her previous owner before me, which obviously was Joe, who's somebody that I know really well. And then before her was this woman named Donna who owned her for about 10 to 15 years. So she was with Donna for a while and then the only sort of like kind of unclear part is the the period in which she was born to when she went to Donna but I do know her breeder I couldn't find her breeder but I know his name and um that he was a breeder of with it Morgans which was her breed so like I do kind of know like her general history and she also came from Georgia so she lived in Georgia um for a while with Donna Donna lived in Georgia so yeah she came from Georgia so I do know like a good bit and I know she did um she did like jumping I don't know exactly what she did she might have done eventing actually because she also did dressage um and she definitely did like English showing type stuff so I was able to piece together like a good bit of it but obviously there are a lot of specifics that I will never know <laughs> yeah I think that's kind of just a given honestly and then I guess like obviously you might want to ask like training wise what is the training experience of this horse like do are they ridden you know with negative reinforcement or you know if you're really lucky maybe you're getting them from someone who already trained with positive reinforcement oh gosh sorry if you heard a loud sound from my guinea pigs <laughs> that's okay <laughs> um but yeah just I guess figuring out what their training history is and how you know that's going to impact how you go forward with them yeah I think knowing where you want to get a horse from too is important because if you're getting from a rescue they might not have as much information if that's something you really value you might want to go and actually like buy a horse not adopt one I'm not really for or against either I used to be like super adopt don't shop and then I worked at a shelter <laughs> I changed my mind <laughs> but yeah. I think I think it's okay to buy a horse too if it's to fit your needs yeah and honestly like buying a horse often ends up being rescuing a horse in a way just because right. so many people like don't treat their horses very well yeah. um, which is really unfortunate but you know you can still do a lot of good for a horse too if you're just getting them from another person and not getting them from an actual rescue but getting them from a rescue is great and I do recommend that if that's something that would work well for you right and I think there's a common misconception that rescue horses are just like all these horrible monsters and that's not yeah. true <laughs> I met a lot of sweet rescue horses and I yeah. mean it's, it's worth looking into for sure 
Yeah, definitely. I feel like rescue horses are a lot more stigmatized than like rescue dogs or cats or anything like that, probably because horses are seen as like really big, dangerous creatures, which I mean, to some extent, yeah, they can be dangerous, but also if you're approaching them properly and, and handling them well and managing them properly, like they're, you know, usually somewhat um, more handleable than people think they are. But um, yeah, I do think that there's that stigma there. And also, you know, you do have to have knowledge of how to work with a horse that might have trauma, but you also have to have that knowledge for working with a dog that might have trauma. So I think like, if you are somebody who knows a good bit about like, you know, behavior and training with positive reinforcement and you want to take on that project like don't be too intimidated by it especially if you have a trainer who can help you and work with you but also like yeah you don't want to take that on if you aren't very experienced or you're just not looking for that type of I guess challenge or project yeah I think if you want something that's like truly a clean slate so to speak it'd be best to get a horse that's young and not broken yes. for riding yet or there's a Facebook group. Uh, it was called R Plus Trained Equines for Your Consideration. And uh, Steph K Equestrian, I think, runs it. I'm not entirely sure, but people post horses on there all the time that are trained with positive reinforcement that they're selling or leasing. So that's something to look into. I haven't found anything in my area because I just casually look. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm sure yeah. every once in a while someone comes up. Yeah, that's a great resource. And I guess like if you really wanted to, you could get one that's not in your area and transport it. But obviously that's a little bit of um, a stressful situation. It's better to get one nearby if you can usually. But yeah, that's a great resource for people who are wanting a horse that's already trained with positive reinforcement, especially if you're kind of like newer to positive reinforcement and you don't necessarily want to have to kind of like reteach all the behaviors away from negative reinforcement now to positive reinforcement. It's good to kind of already have some of that basis put in there, like the basic behaviors and whatnot, knowing that they already know that. But you can also get that from working with a trainer, obviously. Right. I think there's a few positive reinforcement based horse rescues, but I'm not even really sure where they're located. <laughs> I know a Steph K equestrian does a rescue and rehome project thing and then empowered equines i know does that too and their programs are really cool because they'll have people train the horses that are adoptable and then adopt them out and i think mm -hmm. that's really neat but i don't know if there's yeah. many others and i'm not sure where those are located <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that is a really cool thing um if anybody is nearby those although we don't know where they are <laughs> that would be great that yeah that sounds really awesome I think it's really great too when you're taking on the horse if you do have like a community of people that will support you even if you are like experienced and you don't want to work with a trainer just having people that are like accepting or um, supportive of like what you're doing and having like a place you could take the horse that's accepting of that because like obviously we already talked a lot about like finding a specific barn that kind of fits what you need but also I think we forgot to mention like making sure that you're going to be like setting yourself and the horse up for success by taking them to a spot where you feel safe to like do what you need to do with the training and management according to like you know positive reinforcement and science-based management and stuff like that like you definitely don't want to go to a place where you feel like you're gonna kind of struggle to 
implement those things like I know some barns have like weird rules of like you can't do like you can't hand graze your horse or whatever just like random things like that so um, just making sure that like it's a place where you feel like not just like management wise or whatever but also just like emotionally you'll be able to do what you need to do with the horse that can be the hardest part (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah it definitely can it's very hard because everybody has their ways of doing things and I think in the horse world people are just used to people agreeing with their ways of doing things even though those ways might not be great so when they see people who disagree they're like what's going on (laughs) because like you know everybody is like lunging is great or everybody is like you have to be the boss of the horse. So then when somebody comes up who's kind of challenging that, it just, I think, makes them really uncomfortable because it's just, you know, everybody does have their way of doing things, but in the traditional world, it's still kind of similar to each other. Yeah, and it's kind of just accepted as fact. Like, no one questions anything. Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess, like, another just, like, more logistical thing you need to know is, like, what's the diet? What's the hoof care? You know, do they have shoes? Are they barefoot? Like what general schedule are they on of being trimmed or, you know, getting shoes or whatever? Both like you can get information from that. Like obviously if they're on a really high sugar diet, you're going to be like, oh, you know, that's not great. I'm going to need to change this. Or just so you know, like when you take them home, what their general routine is and how to care for them in the way that they've been cared for. So you can continue that or slowly transition them over to something else yeah I think that's an important one with wonder I don't remember his old owners giving me any feed or even telling me what he ate I could be wrong because it's been a while now but I don't remember that but Phoenix's old owner gave me I don't even know like probably a week's worth of his food and then I was able to transition him over to what I wanted to feed him I mean not everyone's going to do that but if they do or if they at least tell you what they're eating that can be really helpful Yeah, definitely. I had trouble when I moved Coco from where she was before to the last barn that we were at before she died. I had trouble with that because they actually had been feeding her different food than what they were supposed to be feeding her slash than like what I was asking her to be fed. So I was like trying to ask them, like, I just need to know what she's being fed so that I can do like a safe transition over to what I want her to be eating. And they were kind of like not really telling me exactly because I think they didn't want to be in trouble for not feeding her what I had wanted them to which it was a whole situation with her being underweight and them kind of being like she's underweight she needs to have this certain type of food but then like not really asking about that so there were just like a lot of medical things going on and like things that I could have done better to not have her be so underweight but also she had a lot of medical issues and a lot of like dietary restrictions, which is what led to her being underweight. And it's not okay to just put her on this random food. But anyways, so I didn't really know when I was moving, like what she needed to be eating. And that was really stressful. Cause obviously if you just like feed them a random food, they could colic or, you know, have all sorts of negative reactions to just being like switched over immediately to a random food. So yeah, definitely knowing that and trying not to be in that situation where you have to just kind of like randomly switch them to a new food. Even if it's a better food, it's better to just do it gradually and, you know, be mixing in parts of each food every day, like slightly more of the new food each day instead of like just going and doing it immediately. Yeah, that can be really damaging to their just general gut health and horses are already so sensitive with their stomachs. It's not worth just throwing them on something new. Yeah, 
Totally. I agree. So I think like whatever logistical information you need to know right now, what I'm thinking of is like food, hoof care. I'm sure there's other things as well. Just making sure you know those general care type of things. Obviously you want to know like what vaccines they've had, like, are they going to be due for like, you know, getting their teeth floated or whatever. You're going to want to know that information, but that's probably more included in like the medical care type of stuff. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. So I think those are like the general things you would need to know. I think also like, you know, you mentioned before, and like we talked about in general, just kind of keeping an open mind about it. Like you want to know all these things, but you're probably not going to find a horse that is like perfectly managed, has the perfect history and all the information is available to you. And like, is in perfect medical health and all those things. Like you're probably just not going to find that horse. So you have to kind of, I think, look more for like, personally, I would look at you know, how they're, they're acting and behaving in their personality and, you know, how you think that's going to fit with like your personality and your style of training. I think it's like matching personalities, I think is really underrated in, in finding horses because people are looking for a horse that can jump as high as they want or whatever, but they're not looking for a horse that kind of like fits with what they want. Like if they want a more laid back horse or, you know, a horse that's more wanting to move a lot and, very curious and getting into things so I think looking into that and obviously you might not be able to get a totally accurate read of that just from seeing them once so if you can go multiple times like you suggested or you know lease them for a bit to get to know them or whatever those things are always good but yeah I think just like especially if you have the knowledge if you sort of just also pay attention to the feeling and like how you think that this horse is going to fit with you that would be the most important thing to me Like I know I personally wanted to get a young horse after Coco died because I got Coco when she was already in her 20s. So I was like, I don't want to like lose another horse very soon after getting them. So I would like to get a young horse that I can, you know, hopefully keep for most of its life and have it for, you know, the rest of its life for several years. But now I'm also like, well, I know this horse, Mimi, who is older, you know, but I work really well with her and I have formed a relationship with her, you know, despite that she's not really what I was looking for. I think she is like a really good fit for me personality wise and that I've developed a relationship with her. So sometimes like it's okay to prioritize that sort of feeling and relationship over the other stuff, as long as you know, you can make the other stuff work. Like you definitely don't want to just take on like a rescue horse or some horse that you can't handle if you don't have the experience just because it feels like a good thing but you know if you know you can make the other stuff work it's okay to kind of take something that's not exactly what you were looking for yeah I think the personality and like how they fit in with your lifestyle and how they work with you and things like that are all probably the most important to me too obviously other things I would want from a horse but ultimately that's what's most important for me Yeah, I agree completely. So yeah, I guess those are some things to just keep in mind while you're looking for a horse. And obviously, there's no like set formula of like, if you ask these things and do these things, this will get you, you know, the right horse. But yeah, just keeping in mind those things and ideally having somebody who's even if you are knowledgeable, I'd recommend having somebody there who's also knowledgeable for like a second opinion and just kind of, you know, taking it as it comes and seeing what feels and what meets your needs correctly. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Click Treat Repeat. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at Click Treat Repeat Pod. You can find Jen at Genuine Equine and myself at Bonafide.bt. We upload new episodes every Monday and hope to see you then. Happy training!